Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the chair of the association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support and mentoring. And of course, these podcasts. Well, welcome everyone to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm absolutely delighted this afternoon to be joined by Kate Roberts from Across the Pond, as we say. She is a lifelong advocate for women and girls and a serial entrepreneur. At a very young age, she's achieved so much. She was the co-founder with Melinda Gates and the Princess of Norway of the Maverick Collective and various other organisations. She's now the founder and CEO of the Body Agency and has done even more. So tell us a bit more about yourself, Kate. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, even though I'm across the pond, as we say, I am actually British by birth. So it is lovely always to go back to my roots and have these conversations with my fellow countrymen. Well, where should I begin, uh, Suzanne? Would you want me to begin at the beginning or do you want me to start where we are today and work back? How would you like to do this? Yeah, just a pre a summary. A summary. Well, I grew up in England, but my father was a sea captain. Um, and so I grew up sailing around the world on my father's ship until I was about 17 years old. And that sort of led me to understand the world and especially understand the world of poverty. And that's what sort of got me into crazy traveling and and learning and understanding how most people live around the world. And I think that's really what started my sort of lifelong activism, especially for girls and women. Um, I went on to work in advertising and lived in various countries. I've lived in about seven countries, learned a few languages, uh, everything from living in Russia to Romania to Europe in Holland and Belgium and America and even Myanmar, which was called Burma. So I really have immersed myself in other cultures and along the way, really understood the world uh, as we stand. Well, you know, we, we're very privileged in our, in our little white bubble here, both in the UK and here in America, but sadly, 90% of the world does not live like that. And so I took it upon myself to get educated and to really understand what I could do as one human to make this world a better place. Thank you so much for that. So why have you dedicated your life to women and girls' well-being? Well, I am a woman. (laughs) I have a daughter. And I've always been very motivated because I feel like we're really not there yet with equality, especially in different parts of the world. And, you know, I've seen that firsthand. I've also had a few experiences myself that put my life in danger, actually, where I didn't feel control of my own body. And I was very vulnerable. Um, I was actually kidnapped um, when I lived in Russia, and actually twice. And, you know, I think when you go through an experience like this, and you don't feel in control at all, you either fall to pieces, or you just say, 
I'm going to make something of my life. And, and that, I believe, Suzanne, is where it all began. Sailing around the world, seeing poverty, understanding how different people live in different cultures, and just wanting to be of service to the world. And so I believe that by investing in girls and women, we can strengthen, well, I don't believe, I know, there is hard evidence that if you invest in a girl, you know, if a girl goes to school, or a girl is healthy and can be in the workforce and can be a mother. And as all of us mothers know, the constant juggle, we can strengthen local communities, we can strengthen uh, nations and therefore strengthen the global economy. I mean, it just makes financial sense to invest in women. Somebody told me once when I was on a trip to Africa in a local village, I'd met a female advocate basically and in, in, in a healthcare company and she said you know if you give a woman ten dollars living in this village she'll buy a goat or school books for her children but if you give a man ten dollars you know he'll spend it on alcohol and women yeah. <laughs> um, and you know that's a bit of an exaggeration for the world over but it does kind of make sense if you think about it yeah I agree the sort of nurturing qualities that women bring to many scenarios so tell me a bit about your charity well, um, as you know, I founded Maverick Collective, and that was a global opportunity to change the way philanthropy was being done, led by women for women. So I found some incredible advocates around the world, all different nationalities of women with resources who really believed in the philosophy of strengthening women's health and finding solutions for women's health. And it really worked. We raised you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and found different solutions for things like cervical cancer and gender-based violence and uh, reproductive health and maternity health, you know, the list goes on. And, and now with the charity arm of the body agency, my new venture, the whole focus is investing in youth and the next generation. That's where I believe now that we have the opportunity. We, we definitely live in a different world now. We've had a global pandemic. We've had unrest. We've had political crisis. We've had climate change. We've, we've just... Crisis. We've had a, a number of financial crises uh, in this country, you know, political, you know, through the roof. I don't need to bring that up, but I believe in Britain as well, you know, with everything that, that is going on there. And we now have sort of given birth to a whole different new generation of youth, whether they are from hard circumstances and living in impoverished areas or, you know, this new generation of millennials who, you know, are new in the workforce. We have an opportunity with our youth to get them educated, to make them into social advocates and to give them the healthcare and resources that they really need to thrive. And so that really is the, the focus of my next charitable venture. I really believe in the next generation of leaders. And, and just sort of going back, what do you think that the role of parents can be in their children's lives and in, with their health? I think parents, we, we all have a very big responsibility. You know, we bring humans into the world and, you know, a lot of subjects are difficult for parents. And, and that's one thing that we do at the Body Agency is give parents the tools to be able to talk to their kids about sensitive issues. But, you know, parents are, are really responsible for 
kids' education, for kids' knowledge, for, you know, exposing them to the elements. You know, my I have a 10-year-old daughter, and when Trump came into power, you know, she came home from school. She was five. And she, she said to me, Mommy, could you just help me understand one thing? It was when he just got elected. She said, I don't understand how a man can be president of the United States when he touches girls' private parts without their permission. And then the following year, she comes home and she says, Mommy, I just learned at school there was a, a whale that washed up on the ocean full of plastic and he this whale had eaten all the plastic and she was just absolutely devastated that this whale <laughs> had eaten all the plastic and then became my sort of teacher every time she saw me doing something that wasn't being recycled now as a five and a six-year-old that's brilliant because she's going to grow up with those values in hand. And then the third area is, is philanthropy and giving back and having empathy. And, you know, so many kids of privilege, you know, get spoiled, they get everything they want, and parents don't necessarily teach them about giving back or even just having empathy for others. And so I believe on either side of the aisle here, whether it's teaching your kids about healthy eating and and how to be healthy what goes on with your body how to protect your body how you own your body being healthy being a responsible human being and then the second thing is you know social impact and how to give back and how to be a little philanthropist and how to do good and essentially just how to be an empathetic human our parents are vital for that vital you know talking to kids about drugs and what to do and what not to do and and especially with girls and their bodies you know I got a text uh yesterday from one of my neighbors saying there's a guy in a white van who's luring kids into his van with sweets and and water and kidnapping them I mean <laughs> you know you've got to be able to talk to your kids in a way that they can relate to because they do listen and that's how we're going to bring in a new generation of responsible adults and good leaders. And so in this, what role can men and boys play? Well, don't get me started. I think, you know, I've worked in global health for 20 odd years. And I can tell you that that the education that boys get is very little in the health department, as in they don't need to be taught how their bodies work right it's all natural for them they they know what to do sadly they have access to the internet and a lot of the stuff that they see on the internet is awful and wrong and that's where they get their education so it's really up to parents to talk to their boys i think at a young age about themselves but also about girls and women as in how do girls and women operate what does consent mean and we've now gone through this era of me too and you know boys and men are actually quite frightened now to even approach women because of 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 everything that can actually happen to them however i think if we teach again it's down to values if we teach our boys and girls about themselves their bodies their values we will bring good adults into the world. And it's just as important to talk to our boys about these things than it is to talk to our girls. Because, you know, we can talk to our girls until the cows come home. And then if the boy has these notions in his head of, you know, what it means to be a man, then we won't break this cycle. Yeah, I agree. And, and tell me, 
we're talking now, this is addressing, uh, we're at the women in family law, so we're talking to lawyers here. How can the legal world help with your mission? Well, you and I, Susanna, have talked about this before. I know that you are, you know, a family lawyer and, um, you know, I've been through a divorce and I understand what it's like. And, you know, families then fight about custody and then they fight about money and, and it's a horrible process. But at the same time, I think that especially with families who do have resources and, you know, you know who those families are, you're dealing with their, their family estates. I think it's a real opportunity for you to also talk to them about giving back, about their philanthropy, about their social impact. And I think it could actually be super helpful when you've gone through the process of a divorce and perhaps you are an empty nester and your kids have grown up and you find yourself divorced and, you know, feeling a little soulless and, you know, you're really looking for your life of purpose. And I think that's a really good opportunity for your, your legal counsel to talk to you about these issues and, and get educated into organizations like mine that are credible and you know have measured results and make those introductions to, you know, find out about the issues that you care about because I can absolutely assure you it's not money that makes you happy. It's when you have a life of purpose and you, you know, have a goal in mind and you can... You can have some impact in your life. That's what makes you happy and doing it with your children. The reason that we have what we call a collective is it really does take a collective of people from different backgrounds to have impact around the world. And we want the legal profession. We want the high net worth individuals. We want the foundations. We want the corporations. We want the nonprofits to really come together in government to really come together so that we can have impact and really learn from one another. So I think the legal profession actually has a real opportunity to, because you have the connections, you have the connections to the families, you know what they're passionate about, you've been through a very emotional time with them. And, you know, social impact can bring families back together and doing something with your children or your siblings or your parents or not, doing it separately can really help both solve problems around the world, but also bring your family back together. I just want to pick up on on the theme of happiness. And um, there has been all sorts of research. And I understand in Harvard, as well as at the University of Bristol, you can do courses in happiness. And so much has been proved about your own happiness being how you help other people and what you do for other people. So not being sort of egocentric, but thinking more broadly about other people. And another theme that I'm fascinated by, and perhaps we'll talk about this when we talk about COVID in the world, is about kindness. Yeah. There's been some very interesting studies and there's currently a big survey being undertaken by Radio 4 in this country about kindness Mm. and whether or not you can still get ahead in business if you're kind. And I think there's all sorts of sort of new concepts that certainly when I was early on in my career, these wouldn't have been discussed. There's no way people would have talked about whether or not you were happy or whether it was good to be kind at work. But I think they're very interesting concepts. But going back to your um, thinking, do you think that philanthropy has changed in the world over the time you've been involved in it? 
Um, philanthropy absolutely has changed, and I, I'm going to get to that. But I, I first want to address the kindness thing, because I think you've absolutely nailed it. Kindness, I would highly recommend to all your listeners to, to get this book. It's called Ikigai. It's the Japanese word for secret to a long and happy life. And, you know, I, I actually teach this now you know, really going into your soul and understanding what your values are and what your life of purpose is will lead to this long and happy and healthy life full of purpose. And kindness is key. And I would actually challenge anybody to just spend a day of kindness and see how you feel at the end of the day just by giving, not taking anything from anybody, just at random acts of kindness. And let me tell you, most people don't do it. Most people are, are just cutthroat, ready to go, have their own objectives and off they go. And th that is an unhappy life. So yesterday I was actually recording my podcast, um, Sex, Body and Soul. And I had uh, Zainab Salbi on. She's the founder of Women for Women, born in Baghdad and has had the most incredible life. And both her and I have been these female warriors over the years, we've been to Davos, we've been on panels, we've been on TV, we've literally become these sort of brands. And we were just going for it for years and years and years and years and years aggressively for our goals. And kindness, it, it didn't necessarily, we just thought we were being kind because we were saving the world. But we weren't being kind, first of all, to ourselves. And we weren't necessarily being kind to others because we were so focused on our goal and always wanting something from somebody. Now, what you do, Suzanne, is really interesting because what you do is you, you make introductions, you network, you just give, you know, you're a giver. And random acts of kindness to me is the number one value that I look for in somebody. And I believe in answer to your question that you can accomplish more with kindness that you can in business by just, you know, being a, being a shark. And I also believe that as a woman, we have certain power as in leadership because we usually lead with empathy. So I think kindness and empathy are two things that are incredibly important for your own happiness. Thank you for that. Now you've mentioned Davos, so I just want to touch on that. Is it effective going to Davos? <laughs> It is. Is it expensive? Well, personally, I've never paid because I'm a member of the Young Global Leaders, which was a very humbling experience of being chosen for that program. So I haven't paid. But yes, it's extremely expensive. I think tickets go up to about half a million, depending on your company. And I mean, the reason it's effective is it's 3,000 of the most powerful people in the world that go. You know, it's a collection of, of nonprofit organizations and big companies and media and, you know, thought, big thought leaders, presidents, heads of state. So, yeah, it's very effective if you can learn the art of networking. And I actually wrote a Huffington Post blog about it because I sort of had the art down on truly how to network in a place like Davos. But yes, I, I through going to Davos, I met the Crown Princess of Norway, who's my co-founder at Maverick Collective. I met Bill Gates. I met Melinda Gates. I met, you know, heads of companies. But you need a strategy. You need to go there. 
with a goal in mind and you, you know, you have to be razor, razor focused and not go there to party. And you can go there and just party. I'm pleased to hear you retained your focus, notwithstanding all the party offerings. Now, going back to COVID, how has that changed the world? Oh, Suzanne, it's changed the world forever. First of all, COVID is not going away and it's not under control yet. You know, as you know, I've worked in global health for a very long time. I've I've worked through numerous pandemics, Ebola and SARS and flu and HIV and, you know, a lot of global pandemics that I've worked on. And uh, COVID is seriously not going away. And of course, there's these different strains. I believe that travel will not ever come back to how it was. Uh, I don't know whether you've started traveling yet, but um, I have. And, you know, you're packed on airplanes because they've canceled so many. And so when a flight does leave, you are packed in like penguins with your masks on. People are very stressed, right? So there's a lot of, you know, outbursts on, on planes, which is not, it's just not pleasant. But yeah, I think masks are here to stay. And we relaxed here in America with the masks. I know in the UK also that has been completely relaxed. But there is a reason that in in Asian countries, they wear masks all the time and they, you know, day to day go out with masks. And let's be honest, most of us have been extraordinarily healthy the last two years. And it's because we've been wearing masks. And Um, washing our hands. And washing and disinfecting our hands. You know, I do it constantly now. Every single time I go outside to the supermarket, I will disinfect my hands and my phone. But what I can tell you are the the marginalized countries, the developing countries around the world are really, really suffering. India, for instance, is an absolute disaster where, you know, when people live on top of each other, it just spreads like wildfire. And So, yeah, our world is not ever going back to normal. We will have to live with this. We need to get vaccinated and the unvaccinated are being completely irresponsible. And And obviously we need to be mindful of the low numbers of people vaccinated in developing countries whilst we're now going on to booster jams. That's a very difficult balance to achieve and also the impact on the world of work lots of people still spending a lot of time working from home and what that means for our inner cities and also how we work in the future there's a lot to think about and I met a friend of mine today and we were talking about you know let's wait and see what this looks like in five years it's going to take a while to recalibrate to balance again in whichever way whichever direction it does, and none of us know. Well, I also think that we've learned a lot during this pandemic. I think the whole notion of working from home uh, saves a lot of money. You can actually be more impactful. I mean, I've started a I've started a new business and a new charity, you know, in the last 18 months, built a team, raised money. You know, you can be very impactful and not getting on an airplane once. Whereas before I'd be like, sure, yeah, let's meet in person or I fly to London. You know, I haven't done that for two years. I've still managed to, you know, build my my company and my nonprofit. And so I think I think there's going to be a lot of cost savings. I think we're going to learn to work smarter. I think we're going to be healthier. And I also think that 
technology has been extremely kind to us, you know, with, with Zoom, apart from you're looking at yourself the whole time, which is never, you know, that's, that's awful for me because of the podcast and the meetings, I'm constantly on camera, which is not good to look at myself all the time. But however, I think technology is now making it easier for us to be connected and also healthy. You know, you can have your doctor's consultancy check-ins online. Uh, You can have your health products and services delivered to your house. I mean, that's what we do at the body agency. And so I think we're going to save money and and work smarter and be healthier. That's my, that's my take from the last two years. We are very lucky though, to be able to work from home and to work smarter, et cetera. So I Again, just to balance, I think there's probably some people who haven't had the the luck that we've had, you know, perhaps working from home and being successful during this time, because for some people it's been obviously very difficult. But, you know, I think you're right. We we have to make the most of this new flexibility that we've mm-hmm. been given and that can help us in so many ways. So I want to finish by asking you a fun fact that nobody knows. Uh, okay, a fun fact that nobody knows. Ha, huh. well, maybe some people know this because it was written up in the Washington Post, but I actually lived and worked in Russia and on the side, I set up my own aerobic studio above the national ice skating rink in Moscow and used their sort of practice area to set up this Kate's aerobics. It was in the 80s when, um, you know, Jane Fonda and step aerobics was really popular. And uh, sadly, that did lead to me being kidnapped by Russian mafia. And so, whereas uh, people do know that about me, the average person doesn't. And it led to many, many scary things that happened to me in the former Soviet Union. And to be honest, you know, those three years that I was living in, in Russia were just three of the most scary but also fascinating times of my life where I think it's what makes me so fearless now I I really do not worry about anything (laughs) because it was so extreme but I guess that's a maybe not so fun fact um it was a little scary fact but it's kind of fun I mean it's an adventure it's an adventure life is full of adventures right we need to embrace them absolutely and I just have this vision of you running aerobics classes in Russia well, yes. And again, you can read the story in the Washington Post. But yes, the whole string leotards and, you know, leg warmers. I did the whole thing, Suzanne. I did the whole thing. And I've got a it, vision of fame in my head. So That's exactly uh, what I look like. Maybe not the body, but the outfit for sure. Anyway, I knew it was going to be interesting and engaging and you never disappoint absolutely brilliant to talk to you today I feel as though I've learned so much and I really hope that our listeners enjoy listening to this podcast that we've done today so thank you Kate Roberts thank you Suzanne great to be here thanks for having me thank you for listening to the women in family law podcast Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify. Please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WIFLAW, and follow, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.